In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Uh, but I just want to review what happened in chapter 9, especially the prophecy of what we call the 70 weeks. Um, and then we'll go on chapter 10. So if you guys remember what happened was Daniel was fasting. He was humbling himself in front of God. He was in tears. He was crying. And he was asking God for one thing. He was telling him what will happen to Israel. And he was interested in knowing one thing specific is when with Israel, when the people of Israel go back to Jerusalem and build the temple and build the city. That's what he's interested in. And last time we saw that as he was reading in the scripture, he saw that Jeremiah prophesied that it's the exile period should be 70 years. And Daniel right now is at the end of his life. So the period of 70 years is approaching and he doesn't know how the people of Israel will go back. What's going to happen? He doesn't understand. They're still under the exile. They're still under the Persian rule. He doesn't understand how they will go back to Jerusalem. So he started fasting. He started praying. He started asking God to guide him. And we saw last time that he was offering so much prayers, not for himself, but for his own people. And we saw how he offered true repentance on behalf of his own people. So what happened? When he prayed, the angel came to him and he comforted him and told him how much God loves him. And he started explaining to him not only what happened to Israel, but he started explaining to him what's going to happen in the first and even the second coming of Christ. And he said Daniel is extremely unique because God did not only reveal to him prophecy, but he revealed to him the time when these events exactly will take place. So Daniel is an extremely unique prophet in that sense. Many people in the Old Testament prophesied about the coming of Christ, but very few, only Daniel, actually is the only one that prophesied about the exact timing. Now, when you look at verse 25, it says, Now therefore, this is the angel speaking to Daniel. It says, Now therefore, I understand that from the, the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in trouble sometimes. So what is he telling him? You guys remember, just a, a quick review because it's important. We said the word weeks means seven. A period of seven because a week is a seven days so the word week in Hebrew means seven so it could mean seven days seven months seven weeks seven years and how do we know what it means is it seven days month or years it depends on the on the context and also we saw last time that the Jewish year is very familiar with the concept of seven years because this is the sabbatical happens every seven years so he's telling him look there are three different periods. Two periods are right after each other, and there is a gap, and there's a period at the very end. So two periods, one is seven weeks. We said the weeks are seven years. So seven times seven years is 49 years. So he's telling him from the going forth of the command, which is the command that Darius the Persian will give to Ezra to build Jerusalem, until they build Jerusalem, is 7 times 7 which is 49 years so it's going to take 49 years from the command that comes from Darius until Israel is built and people are back to Israel okay and now he's telling him it will take 62 weeks 
If you take 62 times 7, it will be about 443 years. It will take 443 years from the time Jerusalem is built until the Messiah is going to come. And by the way, this was all fulfilled. It took about 49 years from the, the order of Darius until the Ezra built the temple, Nehemiah finished the walls, it completed within the 50 year period, and then within 430, 40, uh, 40, uh, 434 years from that period, it brings us to about 483 years, which is about 28 uh, uh, after Christ, which is the time where Jesus was crucified. So here he's telling him that it will take these two consecutive murders and he, he, look what he's telling him, he's telling the street shall be built again and the wall even in the trouble sometimes. If you, if you open the book of Ezra, you will see that, that the building of the temple was stopped a couple of times because the Samaritan were fighting the people of Israel to, to, to build. And when you open the book of Nehemiah, people were fighting Nehemiah to build. So it's telling him, it will, be, it will happen. There will be some troubles, but it will happen. You see the, the level of details that the, that the prophecy is, is given to him? And then in verse 26, it's telling him, after the 62 weeks, so after when Christ comes, the first coming, the Messiah shall be cut off. So Messiah shall actually die, but not for himself. Or the better translation, having, having nothing. It means that when Jesus will die, there will be nobody around him. He will be left alone. People are not going to know that he's the Messiah. Look back, the verse is coming, the rest of the verse. And the people of the prince who is to come. The people of the prince who is to come. The prince who is to come is the Antichrist. He's telling him the people of the prince to come, which is saying that most likely the prince to come, the Antichrist, is coming from the area where the Roman Empire is. And that's a big empire, because it had part of Europe, it had Israel, it controlled, it controlled a large area. By telling him the people of the prince to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So what is he telling him? He's telling him after Christ will be cut off, will die, the Roman Empire will come and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the city, destroy the sanctuary. And that happened, Jesus ascended to heaven about the year 30, a year 70 AD, 40 years later. What happened? The, the, the people of Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the walls. And he's telling him, until the end of the world, resolutions are determined. Later on, not only Jerusalem will be destroyed, but the Roman Empire will be destroyed. I want you to look at the level of details in this prophecy. It's telling him the exact time it will take for people of Israel to go back, exact time for Christ to come, the Messiah will die, which was contrary to a lot of the belief. Remember when the Pharisees went to Christ and told him, how is that the Messiah is going to die? We thought he's going to be with us forever. It's a contrary to the belief at the time. And he's telling him after he dies, the city and the temple will be destroyed. The city of Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. This is 
500 years before Jesus comes. Five hundred years before Jesus comes. He's prophesizing about the exact coming of Christ, what will happen to him, and then what will happen after him. And that's why I'm telling you the first two periods are 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 one unit and there is a gap. Why? Because he's telling him after Jesus dies, then the few things will happen. The city will be destroyed, the Roman empires will come. So the first two are right after each other. Now there's a big gap, and we are living in this gap. Look at what's so beautiful. <clears throat> Verse 27. This is where we left it last time. Then he shall confirm. Who, who is he? The prince to come. The Antichrist. Shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring it into the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What is he saying here? Remember, this prophecy was given to Daniel about the people of Israel. So he's telling him there is a gap after the coming of Christ because Jerusalem will be destroyed, the Roman Empire will be there, and there's a gap. At the very end, before the second coming of Christ, there will be a seven years period. And the prince to come will make a covenant with the people of Israel and in many nations. Why is this significant? I want, this, is, this is fascinating. When, when Jerusalem was destroyed in, in the year of 70, all Israel were in, in diaspora. They're all, all over the place. When was the nation of Israel rebuilt and became an actual country? In 1948. Almost 2,000 years later, the nation of Israel became an actual country. So he's telling him that the Antichrist will come. He will, he will have a covenant with Israel and with many. And it means when he's telling him the sacrifice, he will bring the sacrifice to an end. It means that Israel will be built. The temple will be built. The sacrifice offered in mourning will be offered. And he will come and make a deal with them and stop the sacrifice that is being offered to God. And this is exactly what I told you, how the mere image between uh, Antiochus Epiphanius and the Antichrist. Before the first coming of Christ, there was Antiochus Epiphanius. Now before the second coming of Christ, there the Antichrist. And he will come for seven years. The last three and a half years will be very difficult on the believers. He will, he will fight them and he will persecute them. And that's what we also see in the book of Revelation. All these, all these, all these prophecies match. All these prophecies match. The book of Revelation speaks about a three and a half year period where it will become very difficult. Because halfway through the seven years, he will make... Uh, he will start persecuting the people of God. Similar to the prophecy before, when we said the Antichrist will come and he will form a deal with few nations. And now we already see this is the tendency of the world. A lot of nations will come together and form a coalition together. This is what's happening. So you look at this. This should be in itself one of the miracles in the scripture. That 500 years before Christ, he can predict exactly 
when Jerusalem will be built, the Messiah will come, the Messiah will die, Jerusalem will be destroyed, the Roman Empire will end, and at the very end, the Antichrist will come. It means Jerusalem has, Israel has to go back to become as a nation, which at some point in history, like if you, for example, were in the 1600s and 1500s, this would not make sense to you. Israel did not exist. The fact that Israel exists today is a miracle in itself. And that's why yani, some people in our culture like to support Israel because they feel as if they're, you know, they're giving God a hand. Yani, you know, if, you, if Israel builds itself, yani, they're giving God a hand. But this is not the point. But here we're talking about how, how beautifully predictive is the scripture. This is one of the most profound prophecy in the scripture. Now we're going to go to chapter 10. So we see Daniel have seen many prophet, many visions, many prophecies, and we have seen that he's now almost at the end of his life. He's 85 years old. On the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, already Daniel have spent most of his life in Babylon. Persia took over, took over Babylon, but he's still serving in the Persian Empire. A message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed times was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. I'm going to read this verse, and there's one sentence that I want to give you another translation for. It says, but in the third year of Cyprus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. You can, uh, other translation says, it concerned a great conflict. Instead of the appointed time was long, it concerned a great conflict. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Cyrus' third year was about 536. This is two years after chapter 9, after Gabriel gave him the first the vision of the 49 weeks. So it means this happened short while after some of the Jews already went back to Jerusalem. It's about the time when they put him in the lion's den. So when they put Daniel in the lion's den, he was actually old. I don't know, some pictures, some icons might draw him young, but he was actually old. He was in his 80s. And he already sees that some of the people are going back to Jerusalem. Okay? A lot of people get concerned with this verse because Daniel, for the first time in a long time, he says, he says his Babylonian name, Belshazzar. He's been talking about Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Now he's going back to Belshazzar. And remember we said Belshazzar was the name that Nebuchadnezzar used to refer him to. But some of the scholars say because he wanted to emphasize that it's the same person. He's approaching the end of his life and he's telling them, I am the same person. Who was taken in captivity about 70 years ago. And I am now 85 years. It's the same person. He's advancing here. He has a lot of responsibility and he's saying I am the exact same person that I have seen all these visions I'm the same person that brought him captive from Babylon one of the questions that came to my mind if the people of Israel started going back and Daniel was about 85 years old why didn't Daniel go back with them and it's either Daniel had a lot of responsibilities in Babylon 
or either he felt that he can serve his people better in Babylon but more likely he knew that God wanted him to be in Babylon God wanted him to be close to the king even though his whole heart of desire is to see Jerusalem being built but God wanted him to be in that place it's almost like John the Baptist he's the forerunner he was not one of the followers of Christ following him everywhere with the disciples he had a mission he had a mission and he's telling them that I saw a dream and the dream was true what, what does he mean the dream is true a lot of people see dreams all the time and they come and say what, what do you think this dream means but there are certain dreams they are not typical they are more like revelation and we will see later how this becomes clear that this is a revelation and he says this revelation is concerning a great conflict there is a war that's happening and we will see that this war actually is not simply a war between nations but it's a spiritual war spiritual war and we'll see in more details as we go on and, uh, and these wars the, the spiritual wars are happening and Daniel for the first time he says I understood the vision the vision came to him some visions he was confused even after the angel explained to him today he said I understood the vision and these visions are concerning also the future of the Jewish people verse 2 look at this I love this verse on those days I Daniel was mourning three four weeks this became a trend every time before he receives a vision from God Daniel is fasting and praying he's spending time with God he says on the in these days in the days of Cyrus the king he's mourning you guys if you look in the Old Testament people mourn this exact expression mourn for many reasons when somebody died but somebody dies they mourn it's almost like if somebody spiritually is far away from God you mourn for them like St. John Chrysostom sending a letter to his friend telling him repent and he's mourning for him the second type of mourning is over sin and you will see this in Ezra and he was mourning over those who are careless with sin people who do not take sin seriously people who can just accept anything anytime and there are some people who are mourning over great calamities like in Ezekiel 7 and Nehemiah also mourned over the situation in, in Israel the people of God they mourn over the situation in the world because of all the evil all the injustice and he's mourning for how many for three full weeks three full weeks he didn't reveal to us last time how long he was praying for this is by himself he changes the way he dresses. he changes the way he eats changes the way he talks and he's spending all his time sitting on the floor meditating praying and asking God 
God, please forgive us. Like last, last chapter, he was repenting on that behalf of the people. He said, we all have sinned. We all have rebuilt. And see here, what's so beautiful. It says, on those days, I, Daniel, mourning three full weeks. Because remember, I was telling you, the way we interpret weeks is based on the context. So when he's saying, on, in these, on those days, so the weeks are interpreted as regular weeks, seven days. So the context would help us to know that these were actually three full weeks. So how did he fast? He says, I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I, I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were, fill, were full, were fulfilled. He said, in my fasting, I avoided all the food that I might like, and all the food that he would consider luxurious. No meat, no wine. Wine was the only drink that was available at that time. Some scholars say that most likely his fasting was bread and water only. Bread and water only. When he fasted, what did he do? Did he go to get his hair cut? Did he go to the, you know, to do like whatever people do, massage or the body care or whatever? No. When he fasted, what did he do? No lotion. No watching TV. The man says, no meat, no wine, nor did I anoint myself at all. When we look at these prophets and say, I wish I could be like Daniel. A lot of times we want to be like Daniel in the sense of, I want to see visions. I want to see prophecies. But how many want to be like Daniel in their love for their neighbor and in their asceticism and in their life? And then in love toward God. Fasting is not sincere unless I deny myself from my strongest urges. What urges you during fast? A cup of coffee to show off to people? Whatever urges you. You have to take it away in fasting. It amazes me that Daniel is not fasting a normal fast. He's already growing in his fast. Like Ahna, we all of us, like people fasting for 20, 30 years and still struggling. Should I eat Taco Bell cheese? Should I not eat Taco Bell cheese? Should I put sour cream? Should I not put sour cream? And this man, after 85 years, He's old, he can barely walk. He's growing in his fasting. During the Great Lent, I went to give communion to somebody who was in his 80s. And he asked me, Abuna, just please give me an absolution because I usually fast in the Great Lent every day till 5. But I just need to take my medicine in the morning. People grow in the relationship with God. People grow in the relationship. Why? 
because you're focused, you're dedicated. They're not in and out. They already made a decision, I will consecrate my life to God. I will walk with God. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. He says the 24th of the first month. The first month in the Hebrew calendar is the month of Nisan. And the month of Nisan is extremely unique because this is where they celebrate the Passover on the 14th day. So he probably picked the three week period. Okay? So he can remember the Passover. He can remember the work of God that was happening in the people of Israel. What happened in the Passover? People moved us, God moved us from slavery to freedom. So I sit and I remember the work of God that God has done in my life. When I'm sitting fasting and praying, I'm reading the scripture and seeing the work of God in the people, and on His people, and I see what it means to me. And by the way, this might seem like a minor detail, but he says the great river that is Tigris. Tigris actually, it did not cross inside Babylon. It, it crossed outside. And it could be a few miles to almost a couple of hundred miles away from Babylon. So it means when Daniel wanted to fast, mourn, and, and, sell, and, and, and pray, he probably went outside Babylon. He was on his spiritual retreat. He said, I'm going to go outside Babylon in a room get a quiet. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to leave all my work aside. I'm going to mourn for three weeks for the sake of the people of God. I'll tell you guys something. When I look at Daniel, I personally feel that I have no excuse why I don't sit with God. We always say we're busy. You're not going to be more busy than Daniel. You're not going to be more busy than Daniel. He had a very high political position in the kingdom. And your health is not weaker than Daniel. And he still he managed to find three weeks to retreat and to pray. And nowadays, people love to, to use their vacation times for fun and for, for self-enjoyment. But when it comes to personal retreats, when you talk to couples, for example, be like, after you guys get married, you should have one week of your vacation time dedicated for God. A lot of times, it goes over their head. goes over their head that we want to have fun we don't want to spend all our life in and out in and out sometime for the world sometime for God when will we be fully for God when will we be consecrated for God when will that happen Look, when he, he was fasting, he was praying, and then he said, I lifted my eyes. Maybe he was kneeling down and all of a sudden he looked up. And behold, and behold, a certain man 
clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz. So he opened his eyes, he, maybe he was kneeling down, he was praying, and he looked and he sees a man, and this man looks different, because he says, behold, behold, he's excited. All of a sudden I saw a man, and this man is wearing what linen cloth. Linen cloth in the scripture, you either see priests or angels wearing linen cloth. And it's a symbol of purity. And the people also, in the book of Revelation, the saints in heaven are wearing white linen cloth. And he said his belt, okay, has threads of gold. Euphaz is a place known for pure gold. So he says the belt he's wearing has what? Has a little bit of gold in it. This is simply uh, uh, to, to, ref to reflect that this man is a, has some sort of uh, royalty or a king or a judge. He's not a regular man. Okay? Now look at verse 6. He's going to describe this man in more details. His body was like whirling, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet brushed bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of multitudes. Who is this man? God. He saw Jesus Christ. His body was like pearly or crystallite. In the Old Testament, this was type of a crystal, a gold color, precious stone, that's flashing, it transparent, shines, yellow colored, and intended uh, uh, intended to glow like fire. And it's named after the city it's being exported from. He said, I saw a man, and he started describing Christ. I want you to open with me Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 to 16. And I'm going to see, see, show you how different people describe Christ. Not exactly, but the same, the same vision. If you have two different people, everybody writes it in the same way. Look what, what did St. John says. He says, And in the midst of the seven lamps, one like the Son of Man, this is the expression from Daniel, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Same waist, the same belt. His head and hair were, were white like wool and as white as snow. His eyes like what? Flame of fire. Again. And his feet were like a fine brass. One says bronze, one says brass. As if it refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. One said his voice as a multitude. And one said his voice as sound of what? Many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. If you have two people who have seen Christ, everybody will use his own word to describe it. This is beautiful, wonderful. This is almost like the vision in the Gospels, where everybody describes God in a different way. He's saying God is so beautiful. He is a king. His face shines like lightning. He's fearful. In his presence, you feel fear. He says his eyes like fire, because his eyes sees everything. His eyes are full of light. It's a cleansing power, does not accept sin. His eyes also are warm, warm in his love. You look at his eyes, and many, many fathers of the church, they just meditated on the eyes of Christ.
This is our God. His hands and legs like pure bronze, perfection of God. His voice like a voice of multitudes or voice of water. Because God speaks in many different ways to us. Every sermon we hear, every verse we read, every friend, every parent, every meeting we attend, God is speaking. Inside you, God is speaking. His voice like multitude because we are all in His body. Daniel, 500 years before Christ, he saw Jesus in His glory. In His glory. That you and me will see, hopefully, in the second coming. How beautiful this is. How beautiful this is. This is verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone. Be careful. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fall on them. So they fled to hide themselves. Not everybody can see these, can see these spiritual visions. Not everybody is called to the same level. Why? Because not everybody offers the same faithfulness to God. Where is your faithfulness? Three weeks in, three weeks out? Few months in, few months out? Daniel, 70 years, did not defile himself from the king's food. Morning, midday, at night, he worships God. This reminds us of what happened to Saul. When Christ appeared to Saul in the, in, the, in the way to Damascus, in the book of Acts chapter 9, what happened? The people around him fell on the ground. They saw light, but they did not hear anything. It is wonderful that somebody like Daniel can exist in the midst of evil and still can see the second coming, still can see heaven. He says, look in verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. I was by myself. All people ran away. But what happened to you? He says, and no strength remained in me. He had no strength. The presence of God is overwhelming. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me. And I retained no strength, yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. He saw Christ, his face was onto the ground. He was not trying to worship. The presence of God was so overwhelming, his face was on the floor. All his human, all his human strength, was taking away from him. He says, even my vigor, even, even my righteousness, what I thought I was doing good, looked like as if it's nothing in the presence of God. Looked like as if it was nothing in the presence of God. 
He was on the floor, his face on the floor, and he said, I still hear the word of God. I heard them, I heard his voice. And probably God was telling him, do not be afraid. I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega. The presence of God is fearful but joyful. The presence of God is fearful but joyful. Isaiah felt the same way. If you open Isaiah 6, what happened when he saw the throne of God? He says, woe to me. If I come to church and I truly feel the presence of God, I will never, ever, ever feel entitled. I will never tell God why. If God opens my eyes, I will always be in awe of His presence. How can then we look at the Word of God if it's so true, if it's so accurate, if it's so beautiful? How come we don't read it every day? How come we neglect it? We have the most precious book next to us. We don't use it. It became a burden to us. God says, I revealed all my secrets to you. I revealed all my secrets. Why do you treat it like this? Why is it ignored? People, sometimes I sit with people, I tell them just read five verses, ten verses a day. They come back and say, I'm sorry, I couldn't read the five verses. Five verses! Three minutes of the most beautiful words of the Lord Himself. We can't even read them. Daniel, in the presence of God, all his righteousness seemed as nothing. He says, verse 10 is extremely important. He says, suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. I want you to imagine this, this Daniel on the floor, afraid, somebody touched him. He's getting up and his palm of his hands and his knees are shaking. It's an unbelievable situation. We talk too much about the love of God but do we understand how are we so insignificant in the presence of God? The creator of all. Yes, he loves us, he gives us value in the presence of the Almighty. This is how we should all fear. That's why the church teaches us, God, put your fear within us. And people say, I don't like the word fear. This is the natural response if you see God. I don't care what you like. You want to be blind? Stay blind. You want to fool yourself? Fool yourself. The presence of God is fearful. Even the righteous man, he was shaking in front of, the, in front of God. The person who touched Daniel is not Christ. He says here, suddenly a hand touched me. We'll see later that this is one of the angels who touched him. 
So Christ is talking to him, he could not stand the situation, he fell on his floor, and then somebody touched him. It's almost like the story of Isaiah. When he says, woe to me because I am man of uh, unclean lips, God have sent a cherubim to him to touch him. With the tongues of fire, and he put, that, he put the charcoal in his mouth. So, what would touch to him is one of the angels. Most likely, a lot of the scholars say it's Gabriel, because Gabriel has been the friend of Daniel. And by the way, if you look at, obviously today is the last day, we don't read this in Exerium because of the Pentecost, but today is the feast of Gabriel, and you will see his story with Daniel mentioned today in the Synexerium. Gabriel the Archangel. The announcer of good news. And he said to me, what did Gabriel tell Daniel? O Daniel, man greatly loved. Greatly loved. What more would you want after you hear these words? O man, O Daniel, greatly loved. I think if God or an angel just calls by your name, you will just be full of joy. Just to hear your name from the lips of an angel or a saint or God, wow! Well, you're greatly loved. You know in Jeremiah, one of the verses that I love, God told him, I have loved you eternally. Therefore I have poured my mercies on you. Do you want to be loved by God that much? Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. See, this is an angel. While he was speaking these words to me, I stood trembling. So the angel touched him. Touch him means give him some power. He's still shaking. He's telling him, you're greatly loved. He's shaking. I've been sent to you to tell you the news, what you're trying to ask for. You've been asking for a news. You've been asking for what the answers. He's shaking. The presence of God. The presence of God. When Daniel heard these words, he knew the reality of himself. He realized how unworthy he is, yet he realized how much God loves him. This is the moment when I get to know myself. This is the moment when I get to know myself. When I know that I'm nothing, but God still loves me so much. Then he said to me, do not fear Daniel. Again, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have came because of your words. He's telling him the first day you decided to pray, God already heard. You know, God accepted and listened to the prayer before he even revealed to you that he accepted the prayer. From the first day, you know, every time, this is always good in my mind, every time in the liturgy or one of the prayers of the Akbaya, we'll say, Oh God, the great and the eternal. You're directly talking to God. I am calling on His name, O Father who art in heaven.
I'm calling him. He says, from the, from the moment you open your mouth, from the moment what you decided, you put your desire, the desires of your heart inside of you, and he said, you know what? I'm going to turn these desires into an action. I will fast. I will pray. God looked at the desire of your heart, and he says, I will respond to this man. Daniel was waiting for a response, and God told him, I responded a long time ago. I wish we learned to tell God, thank you for you have responded before we even know that he responded. I wish we can thank God for responding before we realize that he responded. Because he heard our prayer. He heard our prayer. He told him, you decided to humble yourself. In the scripture, by the way, the, the, the verse humble yourself is always connected with fasting. Fasting is an act of humility. So if I don't understand the essence of this concept, this is by the way, let me give you some references so you can see it. Leviticus 16, 29, 31, 23, 27, 32, Psalm 35, 13. Many verses that talks about fasting means humbling. If I fast and I don't humble myself in front of the Lord, I am just dieting. I'm just changing what I eat. Fasting should make me feel how weak I am. How weak I am. Our Lord God touched his servants. He listened to his prayers. From the moment he decided. We're starting tomorrow the Apostle Fast. That's the decide to make a difference. Many people in Egypt used to have this tradition where from the Feast of the Ascension to the Feast of the Pentecost, they spent 10 days in prayer and praises to God. Just like the Apostles did. Let's make the Feast of the Apostles matter. I want to tell you guys something before I conclude. The Fast of the Apostles is extremely important and unique. Why? Because it is the most challenging fast to you and me. It's the fast where a lot of people in the church do not fast it. They say it's for the priest and his wife. Some people even start believing this. The second thing is because a lot of people go on vacation during the Feast of the Apostles. And the, during the Feast of the Apostles, when you go on vacation, obviously a lot of people say, you know what, uh, what, how many times would I go on vacation? They start breaking all the rules they have. When you fast the Great Lent, every single person around you is fasting the Great Lent. You are almost barely an ordinary Christian. When we fast the Apostle Fast, I'm going against the trend. I'm going against my human nature. The summer is out, the beach is nice, ice cream sounds good. I'm going against myself. We don't want to read the Bible 
and habits have no effect on our life. Let us try all of us today say, God, I want to decide with Daniel that these next couple of weeks, I want to spend them humbled under your feet, in your presence, making, making new plans with you. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.